Hi, and welcome to our Risk Insights podcast. This series is all about climate change. I'm your host, Rasheen Geraghty, and in this episode, I'm talking with Dr. John Scott, Head of Sustainability Risk at Zurich. And we're going to be discussing why addressing climate change still needs to be a focus, even amongst the global pandemic. John, could you help us to make the link between COVID-19 and the changing global risk landscape? Thanks, Rasheen. It won't have escaped your attention that we're in the midst of a healthcare crisis that's also an economic crisis combined with an energy crisis. Add to that a looming humanitarian crisis in some emerging economies, and you have a multitude of challenges, all of which are exacerbating geopolitical risk. But how will these crises play out over the next 18 months? And what does it mean for the actions we should take today? So earlier this year in May, the World Economic Forum published the COVID-19 report. This was informed by the views of nearly 350 senior risk professionals. The survey and the report look out into the future over a two-year time frame and highlight that economic risks are the most important risks globally and for business. But many of the other risks have societal, geopolitical, technological and sustainability implications too. Not least of all, how we still need to take actions to tackle that other existential global risk for humans, climate change. This crisis and the survey also highlight the interdependencies of all the global risks that have been triggered by the COVID-19 pandemic. Make no mistake, we are experiencing an historic event that will change many aspects of the world we live in, including the geopolitics, the economic impact on many industry sectors, the competitive business landscape, the long-term societal impacts, such as an exacerbation of inequality, the consumer behaviors, nature of work and the role of technology both at work and in our homes. COVID-19 has been a huge global crisis but what about those other existential risks to humans? What do you see as the emerging risks to stalling progress in addressing climate change? Well one of the most important fallouts of the world of dealing with such a global crisis as COVID-19 is ignoring other existential global risks in this case, a shortfall of activity to address climate change, adaptation and mitigation. We've already seen a one-year delay in the COP26 meeting, which was originally scheduled for November 2020. And this is a critical meeting at a time when scientists tell us we must act now to halve emissions in the next 10 years. New, more ambitious, nationally determined commitments on emissions reductions need to be agreed just as soon as possible as well as an agreement on carbon trading rules, the so-called Article 6 of the Paris Agreement, which will enable widespread carbon pricing, a vital economic tool for controlling emissions. So as countries start to emerge in the immediate health crisis and work on rebooting their economies, there may be divergent trends on the role of sustainability in those rebuilding efforts. And these can create emerging risks of a slowing or multi-speed transition of economies and industries. Some regions, including in Europe, already have a Green Deal in place to align fiscal policies with clean growth. But other countries and regions are focused on delivering an economic rebound through brown stimulus measures, which can include cuts in sustainability investment and weaker commitments to climate and nature action. So looking to a world beyond COVID-19, the Secretary General of the United Nations, Antonio Guterres, reaffirm the targets for sustainability and our obligations to achieve them. He said, we have a framework for action, the 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development and the Paris Agreement on Climate Change, and we must keep our promises for people and the planet. 
So post-COVID-19 changes in our working practices, our attitudes towards traveling, commuting and consumption, strangely might make it easier to find business opportunities to capitalize on a lower carbon and more sustainable recovery. And this could enable society to adapt responsibly, to return cleaner and greener, and to develop through sustainable growth with people and communities at the center of our society. So you mentioned there are potentially opportunities here. Is there a silver lining? Well, if there is a silver lining to something as catastrophic as COVID-19, it's the environmental cleansing and the slowdown in greenhouse gas emissions that we all experienced in the early part of this year. As industrial output plummeted in response to the lockdowns, and as cars disappeared from roads and planes were grounded, I think everyone noticed a positive impact on their surroundings. There was less pollution, and we could see that nature was beginning to regain control and restore the balance. And statistics back this up. According to the International Energy Agency, global greenhouse gas emissions are predicted to fall by 8% this year compared with 2019. And in early April, when the world was in full lockdown, daily global carbon emissions dropped by 17% compared with the previous year. However, by early June, the Global Carbon Project reported that we were only about 5% below the figure for the previous June, indicating a return to the same depressing carbon-intensive recovery trajectory. Worse, it's not simply that we're going back to where we were, erasing the temporary benefits of lockdown. The real danger is that COVID-19 will accelerate climate change by compounding all the risk factors that threaten long-term sustainability. Although it has provided a glimpse of a greener future, COVID-19 underscores the challenge of meeting the UN target to limit global warming to 1.5 degrees. Even before the pandemic struck, there were concerns about achieving that target. And that was highlighted by a white paper that Zurich published last year, Managing the Impacts of Climate Change, where we noted that while legislation, sentiment and social trends have shifted in favour of tackling climate change, actions are still falling short of what is needed to sustain the global economy. If our assessment of global warming, informed by our climate change scorecard, is a reminder of the need for concrete actions as well as good intentions, COVID-19 may well undermine both. We've already seen political resolve weaken in the quest to build back regardless rather than build back better, with some governments relaxing or suspending environmental protection regulations to stimulate industrial activity. As governments, businesses and individuals focus on restoring shattered economies and livelihoods, which for many will mean a fight for survival, the brown recovery route may seem like the only practical option and green now merely a nice to have. So the message is clear. Recovery without sustainability is a big mistake. And the gravest environmental fallout for the world is a shortfall of investment in climate action because it may perpetuate resource intensive practices and increase greenhouse gas emissions. How should risk managers think about the risks to their organisations brought on by climate change? What are the key risks and is there a framework we should consider? Well, there are three risks from climate change that affect all organisations, the physical risks, the transition risks and the litigation risks. In many ways, we're most familiar with the physical risks and they include all the changes we're already seeing on the world around us and are well described in the 2018 CRO Forum report, The Heat Is On. The point about these changes is that they will be episodic, not gradual, and are driven by the ways the Earth both stores and releases carbon. At some point, 
the Earth warms so much that the biosphere becomes a net emitter of greenhouse gases, which leads to a scenario of runaway climate change, the point where it is not only too expensive to fix, but too difficult and impossible for people to continue to live on the planet as we do today. Even now, we see the warning signs as land ice melts and sea levels rise inexorably. Climate scientists predict that at the current level of global warming, average sea levels will rise by just over a metre by the end of the century. And add to that, the impact of storm surge flooding and inundation to several metres during storms is likely in storm-prone coastal areas. And then there's also the impact on prolonged periods of heat and cold, which climate scientists now understand are most closely attributable to ongoing global warming. More difficult to model are the chaotic weather systems like tropical storms or convective hailstorms or tornadoes. And many of these systems are already strongly affected by multi-decadal processes like La Nina El Nino, and the climate change influence on those is difficult to model. But most scientists agree that tropical storms are likely to become more impactful with higher wind speeds, greater aerial extent, and change their typical paths and become more rainstorm flooding events when they eventually hit land. But the physical risks are not the only risks. In many ways, the most likely risks to affect us in the short term are the transition risks, which include the impacts on assets, both physical and financial, of the shift from a high carbon to a low carbon global economy. In every sector, there's likely to be winners and losers, creating the risk of stranded assets for investors. And those assets may be physical assets, like fossil fuel reserves, for example, well, there may be stranded capital where a plant or factory doesn't recover its initial investment capital. Or maybe it might be stranded revenues where a business model becomes no longer viable. A really good example of that I came across last year was a software firm that had lost its private equity owners nearly 70% of the value of one portfolio. How could that be, you might ask, a software firm affected by climate change risk? But when I tell you that the firm was producing control software for thermal coal power plants, an industry in steep decline as a result of the need to reduce greenhouse gas emissions, you can see immediately that their revenue model had fallen off a cliff. So that leads us with the last really category of risk, which is really around litigation. Now, there's been a long history of litigation on climate change that stretches back at least 20 years or more, with many novel legal approaches as the plaintiffs and their lawyers try to pin the responsibility for climate change on the carbon intensive sectors. So far, these legal challenges have come to naught, but it is an ever-changing world with new legal approaches and new scientific evidence coming to light every day. Thanks, John. The risks are really interesting and really varied, but what are the frameworks and practical actions that risk managers and industry leaders can take? Well, in every company and every sector uh, and every organization has a role to play, and no one is immune from these climate change risks. Fortunately, there are some really good frameworks around that have been developed to help. For example, the Task Force for Climate-Related Financial Disclosures, or TCFD. Many of you will already know about that framework and might even be contributing to the four key pillars for your company's own analysis. So the first of the four TCFD pillars is the governance framework. In other words, how your board and your management teams understand climate change and act accordingly. The second pillar covers the strategic framework, which is largely about deploying scenario analysis, something very familiar to many risk managers who need to quantify risk. Although the challenge with climate change is to model these changes over a much longer time frame than usual. 
not just the typical three to five year time horizon of a business plan or a strategy, but maybe out 10, 20 or even 30 years to match the time over which the physical risks of climate change begin to take hold. The third pillar is around risk management. And it's about making choices of how you apply the scenarios to your business, to your different products and services, and what risk models and metrics would you choose to describe the risk? So is climate change a standalone risk with its own metrics, like a climate value at risk? Or is it just a set of inputs to existing models in your own risk taxonomy and metrics, like operational risks or investment risks around credit or market risk? Finally, once you've done that, all that analysis, you need to understand the impact of climate change risk on your business. What will you do about it? That needs to be captured back in the strategy pillar too, and eventually disclosed in the final pillar of the framework, the financial metrics and measures. After all, the F and D stands for financial disclosures in the acronym TCFD. So now we understand the risks and the frameworks, what exactly is the opportunity to build back better and what is Zurich doing? Unless we build a green stimulus into all our COVID-19 recovery plans, we'll suffer the long-term consequences. It's the wrong moment to slow the momentum for carbon pricing or to ease up on the removal of fossil fuel subsidies. Nor must we be diverted from developing cleaner and more efficient forms of energy or lose enthusiasm for investments that promote sustainability. Now is the time to redouble our green efforts. From a business perspective, companies generally cannot be successful in societies that are not functioning well. This is where stakeholder, stakeholder capitalism has a role to play. Businesses need to bring their skills and assets to help invest in a better society. And we see this very clearly in the challenges climate change brings, where we have to bring the best of all sectors, both public and private, to bear on these problems. We at Zurich remain involved in a wide range of initiatives to ensure that we stay focused on the climate change threat. We're the first insurer to have committed to the UN Global Compact 1.5 degree ambition, and Zurich is vigorously pursuing its own carbon reduction strategy, developing new products and services to help customers manage the physical and transition risks and build resilience. On the investment side, we were a founding member of the Net Zero Asset Owners Alliance a climate leadership group whose members have pledged to reduce the carbon emissions of their investment portfolios to net zero by 2050, mainly through engagement with investee companies in the CA100 plus group, the most carbon intensive companies in the world, and through sector and asset management engagement. And in risk management, we're modeling our own risks and through our risk engineering function, we're bringing our industry leading accumulation and natural catastrophe modeling capabilities to customers so we can create adaptation opportunities. Finally, as a large global insurer with operations in over 60 countries around the world, we are influential with policymakers and we play our part in supporting our customers and their sectors by influencing changes in economic policies and social policies that help manage the transition risks. So we do have cause for optimism, but how we get out of this COVID-19 crisis is deeply concerning. We need to focus not only on a healthcare solution, but a recovery that's focused on the climate, sustainability, and on societal risk too. We have a chance at a clean, green, and sustainable recovery that allows growth to return, but with people and communities at the center of our efforts. As responsible businesses, we must grab this chance with both hands to help society to adapt and come back better. So my conclusion is that the successful risk practitioner 
all of you listening to this podcast and your organisations need to take action now. Thanks, John. So one final question before we go. Although it's clear it's critical that large organisations take action, everyone can do something themselves in their own homes. So what's one thing you've done and you've changed to become more sustainable? Great question, Roshan. So actually, it turns out I was an early adopter of an electric car. Uh, And I've also, over the last five years, reduced significantly my international flights. And I travel so much less and actually spend much more time on virtual communications like this podcast. Thank you so much for being a part of our podcast, John. We hope you have enjoyed listening. Um, You can also listen to our other podcast episodes on a range of Risk Insights topics in tackling climate risk. 